Cincinnati jersey all on the block. We get it in. I'm in my Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it's a tremendous day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed it is. The Bearcats pull off a monumental victory of the John Brandon era, defeating the Houston Cougars 64-62, an awesome, epic second-half comeback that included lots of odd and peculiar moments, which we will certainly be getting into. But let's talk about this game, Hummer. At halftime, the Bearcats were down 40-30 to after a first half that really, frankly, just went perfectly for the Houston Cougars. Uh, they were knocking down shots. They had a freshman who averages... Six points a game. He scored, I think, 11 in that first half. And if you're a Bearcat fan, you you were feeling a little bit discouraged about how things were uh, were going to play out in this game. This was the first chance for John Brandon to get a, a staple win in, in his Bearcat tenure. I mean, the first half for Houston and, and guys, I know what you're thinking out there. How the heck are we not talking about the bite right away? We will get there. We will. But Houston, with their with the way they came out, everything was going right for them. They were playing tremendous defense, uh, lockdown defense, if 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 you want to use that term. But then they just weren't missing shots too. They were taking contested threes and making them. They were they weren't in the, for our for for the Bearcats too. We weren't playing bad defense. I'm not looking at that first half and saying, "Wow, the Bearcats played bad." Just Houston looked much better. Well, there, yeah, and there were some weaknesses, though, right? You know, the Bearcats were giving up offensive rebounds, and we knew going into the game that the one thing we couldn't afford to do was to let Houston just dominate the offensive glass, and they did that in the first half, and, and several of those plays resulted in three-point shots for Houston. The player I was referring to, Marcus Sasser, was just unconscious. He started the game 4-4 four, four from three-point land. It was reminding me of the, the Tulsa game. Not Tulsa, the Tulane game, uh, when the player who I think since has not, not hit a three-point shot just lit us up in the first half. Uh, he was dropping rainbows on us, step backs, and he's not a player that would typically you know, be known for that kind of scoring volume. Now, late in the half, I thought the Bearcats did start to settle in a little bit. We went on these mini runs where it looked like we were going to make a dent in their lead. They would come back and make a couple plays, and that's why we found ourselves down 10 at the half, but it, I don't, I didn't feel like all hope was lost, but it did seem like their talent level was just a little bit better than ours after watching 20 minutes of basketball. Yeah. Cause the other thing I was noticing too, is we were getting stops at times in that first half, but we weren't coming down and capitalizing on those. Either we were giving up what I would say is a hor- horrendous opportunity to that at offensive boards, uh, but Houston just they just kept grinding at it. They kept coming back. It almost like it almost seemed at points where they we would we would do that, but then they would put us back on our heels. And they would just come, get those off, crash the boards, get a kick out, two or three three opportunities at times to score the basketball and, and they were capitalizing on it and we just we just frankly weren't. When you're looking at the the stats, rebounds on the offensive glass, we got out out rebounded two to one, fourteen to seven. I mean, they, they literally had twice as many rebounds. And I would say the majority of those did come in that first half. 
if I if my eye, eyes are recalling correctly. Uh, but another stat though that this is where I got to give the Cats some credit: defensive rebounds. That's where we I think we won the game in the second half. We crashed the boards on the defensive end much much better in that second half, and we ended up taking that battle twenty four to twenty. Right. Uh, in terms of the defensive rebound. So the first half, yeah, it was, there was some stuff that came out and they had to come out and adjust. And I think they did that properly. Well, one thing I uh, noticed in the first we half, we typically like getting Chris vote very established early in games. We like going inside to him and Houston refused to let him be the, the player that to beat them in terms of how they approached coverage. They were hard doubling every single time he got the ball. It's not a strategy that a lot of teams have taken with Chris vote this season. And he did struggle with it a little bit. There was there were some turnovers, but even when he wasn't necessarily turning the ball over, he was slow with his decision on where to go with the ball. So he wasn't as it wasn't as easy for Chris Vote to get those you know get the deep position, get the easy layup. And when they did bring that double over, he the Bearcats didn't seem to have an obvious solution for where to go with the ball. Second half things change and our approach changes. We did not rely nearly as much on Chris Vogt. We came out early in the second half. I think the first possession got him an easy layup. Uh, but after that, we put the ball in our conference player of the year, put it in Jaron Cumberland's hands and let him run the show, and things got much, much better. Um, however, we did fall down 15 points with 13 minutes left in the game. And that was after a three-point play by our favorite player, Sasser. He, again, had a, had a fast-break opportunity, finished the play with an and-one, and we were down 15, and I think me and you were texting each other at that point, and it, that was as close as it felt to hope being lost in the game. Would you agree? It was, especially because if you look at the chain of events that was unfolding, we were, we were having players start to accumulate fouls. Uh, you know, by players, I mean Chris Vogt was starting to accumulate fouls. And, you know, it just it, once again, it looked like the first half where we just looked like we were on our heels. We almost had like a, a lack, I don't want to say a lack of energy because the guys are playing hard out there, but just a lack of positive momentum to, to be able to carry them forward. But then, you know, you start getting this change of events. And I mean, hearing it on TV, you're down 15 and you get a dunk that takes you down the 13. And all of a sudden the crowd is just back in the game roaring. I mean, I could feel the rumble through my TV speakers and, you know, so there was definitely some things that we had happen that allow us to go in the opposite direction. But yes, I, I believe I did at one point text a what could have been a positive or a negative. I did this on purpose just so I could say I look great either way. You put in Mama Do and hey, guess what? The game's over. And We're it, winning, baby. It was over. <laughs> you know, he brought in Mama Do Diara. Coach Brandon brought in Mama Do Diara. He also brought in Zach Harvey. And in a similar way to that Iowa game, their defensive impact was was very obvious. Not so much, obviously, Zach Harvey wasn't as impactful in the Iowa game, but their athleticism competed with Houston so much better than Javen Cumberland in this game. Javen Cumberland has a role on this team. He's a great shooter, but one of his strengths is not athleticism. He's not a big guy. He's not the quickest or most, most athletic guy. And when you're going against a team like Houston that has really awesome wing talent, Giroux, Mills, uh, Grimes. I mean, they they throw out really good scores on the perimeter. Zach Harvey competed his tail off in this game, and I think he closed the last 14 minutes of the game for the Bearcats in the second half. 
not an not an enormous box score performance for Harvey, but really a just a solid, well-rounded defensive effort from him. And you saw it on Twitter. Folks are excited to see Zach Harvey get minutes, and this was easily his best stretch for the Bearcats. Oh, 100 percent. It was it was it was good to see him being able to keep the players in front of him using his quickness, because at times you mentioned it. Javen doesn't seem to have that that quickness getting back up on the court on in transition where Harvey's able to get out in front of him and cause him to, sl- to be able to slow, have to slow down and run their half court offense, which is where our defense excels is if another team has to go into that half-court offense. We saw it multiple times. I think they had two shot clock violations that we ended up causing. We caused multiple almost shot clock violations having to just settle for a contested three or an off-balance shot multiple times. It resulted in a lot of just really poor misses that allowed us to get the defensive rebound. Uh, and I think Zach Harvey was, he was the disruptor of the game uh, in that sense. You know, He was able to come in and say, look, they probably don't have a lot of tape on Zach Harvey either because he just hasn't played that much. So seeing what he was able to bring in terms of that defensive effort, it, it was phenomenal. And he's becoming thing- a guy where when the ball swings to him on the perimeter, he can knock down a three-point shot. His shot looked disastrous early in the season. He was you know, struggling to draw rim. Lately, when he has those open looks, he's knocking them down at a pretty solid clip, and that's a big difference, right? When you sub in Zach Harvey, who has the defensive upside of Chris McNeil, but has has the ability to knock down and confidently shoot open shots on offense. Huge difference in terms of what it does for the Bearcats team overall. It's a big net win for us. A, a huge net win. Another positive for the Cats, and you know, we're talking about like stats of the game. We kept our turnovers for the most part, one of the lowest top totals of the season against a quality opponent at 11. But another one, we had four Cats, once again, in double-digit scoring. That is always, I think, going to be a key for this particular team because while we're looking for Jaron to take over the game from a scoring perspective, on a night where Jaron just was not hitting free throws, I mean, you never would have thought that the the Houston strategy would be a hack of Jarathon, but you know that's just kind of what I feel like their strategy is starting to turn into. You were able to have Keith Williams step up. You were able to have Chris Vote come back and have a much better second half. And he played some really good minutes with four fouls before he finally exited the game. He was making some good defensive rotations as well. Defe- defense has not been his his focal point or strength so far this season. He was he was effective. He had five block shots in this game. And that closing lineup that Brandon largely went with, Chris Vote, Trey Scott, Jaron, Zach Harvey, and Keith Williams, it wreaked havoc on the defensive side. Uh, I just said defensive side of the ball like we're talking about football again. But on defense, that lineup wreaked havoc on Houston. They just could not score the ball. And uh, when you look at with 6-16 left in the game, that's when the biggest the biggest moment of the game happened. Uh, well, well, you were getting before, I think we're still getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So we're talking about defense and we're, we're, we're really looking at what you see accomplished in the second half. A 26-9 run caps off the game. Houston was held to just one field goal over the last 11 and a half minutes. That is huge. There's a lot of people out there are going to say, though, well, one field goal, why was that? Well, Houston looked a little rattled because there was an incident, the incident, at 6-16 that really took a bite out of out of Houston's, out of Houston's sales, out of one of the UC players' legs, uh, Mamadou Diara, and Two. I think there might have been a second one. Two of their legs. 
too. But we have a we have a think we have a special guest. We got some words from a special guest that we want to we want to read you. Hummer, let's do a dramatic reading of the post-game comments Kelvin Sampson made immediately after the game regarding what he called the alleged bite. Let's address the bite. There wasn't a bite. There was an alleged bite. So somebody said somebody bit. They go to the line. I watched the film. I watched it three times to make sure I was right too. If you watch it once, you might be wrong. I watched it once. I watched it twice. I watched it three times and I had my staff look. There wasn't a bite. There should have been a jump ball. It's our ball, our possession, and we should have had the ball on the side. So as you can tell, Kelvin Sampson went straight, fake news, deny at all costs, despite the fact that the video evidence clearly showed that Giroux had bitten not just Mamadou Diarra, but also Keith Williams on the shin. And since this uh, post-game statement was made, I guess Kelvin Sampson went back, watched the film four, five, six times, and they have decided to suspend Giroux for one game. Um, I'm sure, and I hope, the American Athletic Conference is giving it an even further look and consideration. Given that he bit two players on the court, you can't just suspend a guy for one game for biting a player. Hopefully the American Athletic Conference has taken this seriously. I'm not sure a one-game suspension is appropriate for biting two players. Maybe one game for each, at least. Uh, But once Giroud was lost from the game... The it was at that point, it was essentially over. Right. I mean, he is their floor general. He means everything to them in terms of uh, running an efficient and effective offense. And him being off the court was huge for the Bearcats. Yeah, it's it. You know, if you're a Houston fan, I get it. It's tough to chew on an incident like this. But, you know, you just you just got to move forward. Uh, You know, with the Bearcats, we have no natural predators. You know, we live high in the trees. That's, That's how we roll. But. Just to, to Kevin or the Kelvin Sampson's point here, we have eyewitness testimony. We have a source on the ground. Let's introduce Melissa Cheney, the Bearcats top fan. We are now joined by Bearcats superfan and host of the Get This with Melissa Cheney podcast, Melissa Cheney herself. Thank you, Melissa, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Super fan. That's true. I mean, you are pretty much, I think, like the Bearcats number one fan. I think it's a fact. Uh, I think it's a fact. As well. Since he's slang and not included. But you were at the <laughs> game last night. Let's. What were you? What were your impressions of the game? You were you were in the crowd. You got to experience it firsthand. It's a pretty yeah. nutty game. How was it? It was awesome. Best crowd I've seen at Fifth Third and. A long time. Definitely best of the Brandon era for sure. Um, Like right out of the gate, it was just loud. It was cool. They have the noise meter back, which I don't know if I've been living under a rock and it's been back or if it's just got back, but that always gets people hyped. So, Uh, yeah, it was a good game. I felt like the first half, we played hard. We were It was horrible, but Houston just was not missing. So, um, but I did say, let's just put this on record to one of the people sitting with us. I just had a feeling that the second half was going to be our half. And at the beginning of the second half, I thought maybe I was wrong, but I think I read the situation pretty well. You tend to be a voice of optimism, and and uh, you, you're good at putting people, giving them a dose of reality on Twitter, I'd say. And when, yeah, when, when Bearcat Twitter's melting down, which we tend to do, 
you tend to pop in just with a, a simple little tweet of, look, the sky's not falling and we have a whole second half to play. <laughs> so I appreciate that. I appreciate the optimism <laughs> because it did feel like Houston couldn't have, they, they pretty much did everything right in the first half. Yeah, and they did. If they were going to script out a half of basketball, that first half is how it would go. Second half was quite different. And yeah. that's when the crowd really did get going. A few breakaway dunks. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I do think there are times like when we get, when we were down, I don't know, 13, 14 points at one point, I think it was, I kind of felt like the crowd, we were like losing them a little bit, but then, you know, like one little like fist bump from Trace thought people just go nuts. And so uh, I think it was just, I don't even remember what play it was that kind of turned the game around. I know the bounce pass, the long bounce pass from Jaron to Keith, that was like, I knocked my beer over if you want to know the, the truth, <laughs> the truth. But um, yeah, I think, I think the crowd in the second half for sure pulled a lot of weight. So that's like, that's going to be one of the all time plays for in Bearcat history. I feel like, like yeah, that's one that definitely. goes on a highlight reel that's shown before games or at, yeah. at fan events like that. The, the, the precision of the pass and then the just ferocity of the dunk from Keith was incredible. Yes, it was. Hummer and I did talk about one this. That we play some some music too. What'd you say? It's going to be one of those plays where there's music playing to oh, it. Oh, for sure. Right. Yes. On the Titanic, on the Titanic uh, theme song yeah. rewind of this game, <laughs> that's going to be the emotional crescendo. Yes, the big Celine Dion moment. Now, Melissa, we're burying the lead here. We know what we really want to talk about, and that's the fact that Mamadou Diara and Keith Williams were viciously attacked with another human's mouth on the basketball court last night. <laughs> Melissa, in the arena, did you have any sense of what was going on? Because the announcers, for the life of them, could not figure out what was happening uh, in terms of that replay review. <laughs> no. Okay, so no one had any idea what was going on. Obviously, initially, we all thought it was a jump ball call. It was a jump ball call, initially. And so... Then when they went to review it, well, back up, Mamadou stayed on the ground longer than normal. And he was like discussing something with the ref. You could tell he wasn't hurt. He was just like kind of talking about. And Keith Williams was like, just his face was just baffled. You could tell something had happened. So they go to review it. And we're all kind of like, what are they reviewing? You know, we thought it was like, are they reviewing? I don't know. Just, we didn't know. So um, after what felt like, 10 years they go to each coach and explain what's going on and Jero is standing by Kelvin Sampson and we sit pretty much behind the visitor bench and you see Kelvin look at him pretty befuddled himself and say you I could see him mouth the words did you something and Jero kind of gets flustered shakes his head no and with that uh they send Jaron to the to the foul line for some technical foul shots and they escort him out. And all we know is it's a flagrant two foul. So we're, no one knows what's going on. We ended up taking to Twitter. Someone that was with us told us that someone had been bit, um, <laughs> which we were all just kind of like, no way. And then at the end of the game is kind of when it, we all started to gain some clarity. So, And some of that clarity, it sounds like, came from a firsthand account. Because what really interested me was last <laughs> night you said you got you actually ran into Mamadou Diara after the game and uh, took it upon yourself to do some actual reporting. Uh, you did some beat I mean, reporting yeah. last night. Absolutely. You know, the media these days, I'm going to give you the facts here. So we're walking out and we had listened to the post game show and Brandon kind of didn't even know what was going on. Um, 
but right. we're walking out and here here comes Mama Diara with his girlfriend and I'm like well here's do right here let's just ask him what happened so you know we congratulate him on the win we're like Mama can you give us some clarity on what the heck happened during that that call and he's like laughing he's like oh yeah yeah so Keith got bit and then I got bit and we're like he bit both of you he's like yeah yeah he bit Keith on his way down and then he rolled over and he bit me on the leg he said I looked at the ref I'm like ref that man bit me I I have his water from his mouth on my leg and we're like dying laughing we're like so you had bite marks and he's he said yeah and he said but Keith actually got it worse than him he said Keith's bite mark was a lot more um like like I don't know, obvious. Did and he, so, did he say whether skin was actually broken? Like, did either of them were either of them bleeding from this? I don't think they were. I think oh. they just had saliva on on them. But th- he did say there were visible bite marks. Well, thankfully, it was only saliva. Thankfully, <laughs> I know. Um, it, I know, it man. still blows my mind to this day. I, I can't believe that th- <laughs> it's a real story we were talking about. Uh, it, I don't even have the words. I just don't have the words for it. I'm with you. Um, I cannot get over it. I, I really can't. I think our PA announcers are going to have to build it into future programming that if something like this happens where someone's getting maimed on the court with another player's teeth, <laughs> they're going to have to announce that to the crowd because if you didn't, you just it was so unclear what actually was happening on the court because it was a very innocuous yeah. play. It's a play you see every game, a scramble yes, for a loose absolutely. ball. Um but Giroux was quick to quick to attack. So uh, yeah, I'm glad. Was. It sounds like there's Vicious. no lingering injuries for Keith or for Mamadou, but we'll keep them in our thoughts and prayers uh, <laughs> for, for a full recovery for the upcoming Wichita <laughs> State game. But Melissa, yes. before thank you for joining us, and before I let you go, any any parting shots for the Bearcat fans? Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I think we're we're only going up from here. 2020 Bearcats are looking like the team we we thought they might look like at the beginning, but. I think a coaching change, a, stat, a, a system change takes some time, and I like what I'm seeing. So I li- I'm excited for March, and I'm excited for the future of Bearcat basketball for sure. Yeah, you put it perfectly, perfectly. Um, we're, we're seeing now what we hoped we saw earlier in the season, and so if we can find yeah. a way to make it to the tournament, which I think we will, uh, it looks like the kind of team that can do damage. So it's, it's, it's exciting to so follow, and, and I look forward to keep – hearing from you on Twitter. So what's your Twitter handle for people who want to who want to follow you out there? It's just Melissa underscore Cheney. All right. Well, thank you, Melissa. Keeping it simple. You could find her on Twitter. Once again, you could make sure to uh, check out her podcast. Hit me with that name, Melissa. It's Get This with Melissa Cheney. Thank you very much. Melissa, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Go Bearcats. Great interview there with Melissa Cheney. Wonderful to hear from someone who was in the crowd last night, who goes consistently to games. And I mean it. She does have a very level-headed approach when it comes to the Bearcats. Tends to not overreact to things, which uh, some of us can certainly fall victim to from time to time. But Hummer, the Bearcats went on to uh, to win this game after that. You know, once Giroux went out of the game, it really felt like the Bear- it was the Bearcats game to lose at that point. We definitely made it more interesting than it had to be, and you alluded to it earlier, but Jaron Cumberland's free throw line performance, that was the the lone blemish on an otherwise really well-played game for the Bearcats. He went 5 of 12 from the line. Several of those were on, on the front end of one-and-ones, one, one which obviously were leaving several points hanging at that point. So, uh, you know, made it made it close there, but they did close out the game. 
and just a really big, massive victory for the Bearcats on our home court. It's huge. And from the from a big picture standpoint, this was a must-win game. You're on your home court. You get an opportunity to take down. I think technically it's a quadrant two team, but I don't know how that's possible. But uh, you get to take down a ranked opponent in your on your home court, defending the the honor of Ed Junker. Um, so there's that trend. The other trend that that has been this Mister Consistent throughout the season once again. Trey Scott was the heart and soul of this Bearcat squad, leading the charge on the rebounding, especially on the defensive side. He had almost half of them for the Cats. Uh, just another another great game from from Trey Scott. He brought another another lightning bolt of energy when that whenever the Cats needed it. But more importantly, you know, I'm hearing people on Twitter just talk about you know how that how he is the heart and soul of that team, and I'm just thinking, you know, that 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 should win me the beer mile. <laughs> heart and soul doesn't get you points, and it doesn't get you out of running that beer mile, buddy. You have. Uh... You're well on your way to losing that. I cannot wait to record it, to put it online for folks to to, to consider. I hope I hope you're starting your training. I hope you're you're uh, you're burying the cold weather, getting out, hitting the streets, running some laps. Uh, you need to train a little bit, buddy, because it's going to be painful. Hey, and we already know we already do know the date that this will go down because we're going to know statistically if it's impossible or not to come back. By March seventh. Oh, I love this. So, <laughs> so you're going to do this on March seventh. So we could probably We're do this on Senior Night in Cincinnati, and we can invite the Cincy Slang and audience to come and watch you make a fool Run of a yourself. Run a beer mile. <laughs> I'd love to see. I'd love to see if people actually uh, came out to that. That'd be fun. But Hummer, let's move on to kind of the bigger picture here for the Bearcats. This is definitely our biggest conference win so far. It takes us to seven and two in the conference, a half game behind Tulsa. And we know what we did to Tulsa earlier in the season. Nobody else in the conference has found a way to beat that team. They just pulled off another miraculous victory against Wichita State. But I do like our chances to close the gap on them. At this point, the Bearcats are, are sitting in Kempom with a 43 ranking overall, 77th on offense, 30th on defense. He's now projecting, Kempom is now projecting a 20-10 and 10 record for the Bearcats, 13-5 and 5 in the conference. Our net ranking sits at 46 as we record this podcast. What do you think about where the Bearcats stand at this point? Oh, where to start? <laughs> I think this is what everybody really wants to talk about, bubble watch. And, you know, as much as we don't like to admit that, currently, as it stands, that's where the Bearcats are. After this win, I think we, we would move from Lenardi's first four out or the next four out to the, to the next four in. Uh, but we gotta keep we gotta keep it up. We gotta keep winning. We the only games that we really can't afford to lose are against those those lower. You know we cannot stumble at ECU like we did last year. We can't stumble at South Florida, which I think is gonna be a really tough matchup at their on their home gym, second last game of the season. You know, but we we do have a, some tough games left. We gotta put some more W's on the board against those quality teams just to make sure that we're in. Because look. It's not going to be. It's not going to be the kind of season where we're going to be able to sit back and relax because, and unfortunately, with selection committee, with national media, first impressions matter, and the early season performance from the Bearcats has left us digging out of a hole in terms of national perception and being in the national conversation. We're playing better basketball than a, than almost any team I'd say in in the American Athletic Conference at this point, 
And in terms of our overall quality, when you compare it to what we were doing earlier in the season, it's night and day. This is a tournament team. Our quality is a tournament team. Fortunately, there's a lot of teams and, and games left on the board for us to get these wins. But at this point, I mean, I am personally disappointed. You know, I'm looking at the bubble watch today. You know, this is the week of February 2nd, for those who are listening late. We're not even, we're not even in, the, in the conversation for work to do in the American Athletic Conference. And it's a travesty because when I'm looking at some of the teams ahead of us in the net rankings, this is where these conspiracy theories come out of the net rankings being skewed towards larger conferences. Minnesota is 11 and 10. They're basically playing 500 basketball, and that's that's enough because of the teams that they're beating, but they're losing to the same team too. Like, okay, so you get to go 50-50 in your conference and, and then make the tournament. That's great. You get Purdue, once again, same thing, 12 and 10. You got Wisconsin, 13 and 9. You know, you're getting these teams that are able to lose a lot of games because their conference is perceived to be so much tougher or stronger. And all of a sudden that makes you better. But so it's going to leave out teams like Tulsa, I think, actually is getting a little disrespected in terms of, of where they're at. They're, they're winning these big games. They just beat Wichita, yet they're still sitting in the, in the, the 60s. You know, that, that to me is a travesty. You get a team like Xavier, though who is sitting at 61, beats one ranked team, and all of a sudden they're shooting up to 47 right behind us. You know, we didn't take that big of a jump, you know, but we still beat a top 25 team, and we only go up from 51 to 46. I think that this, this is skewing towards the conferences that aren't the AAC, that aren't the Mountain West, you know, these, these, team, these conferences that do produce quality basketball year in and year out. Um, so that is a trend that I'm going to keep an eye on throughout the season. Yeah, uh, I understand. Look, I understand the idea that the Big Ten, the overall depth of that conference is better than the American Athletic Conference. Same for the Big East. Honestly, it is. It's, it, it is. It has better depth from a conference perspective. But people need to stop putting Power Five, the Power Five uh, talk into the... How am I going to say this? People need to stop emphasizing power five talk in college basketball. It is not nearly as important and shouldn't be nearly as relevant in terms of getting into the tournament. The American athletic conference has the Houston, Houston Cougars, Memphis, UC, uh, Wichita. Wichita state for and prolific, potentially Tulsa, potentially Tulsa, but I'm talking about prolific, regular perennials, perennial, uh, NCAA contenders in terms of college basketball. These are four schools that have awesome history in terms of college basketball. So give us the proper respect we deserve. But given the reality, it's clear the Bearcats have plenty of work to do. We have plenty of opportunities to get all the wins we'll possibly need to get in the tournament at this point. And, and I mean it when I say it. We are, at this point, the best team in this conference. Brandon has this team operating and playing at a level that we were hoping for early in the season. What we expected and what we were hoping for when we played Ohio State, when we played Iowa, when we pl when we played these these early season teams, we're getting that now and it's proving to be better than the competition in the American Athletic. And it's it's funny that I'm I'm I'll call myself out on this. I'm I'm beating down the net rankings, but Kempom also has that's a little bit of that inherent bias built within it as well. Uh you know, when you're looking at the, the teams and stuff, just because the way they rate road games, home games, who you're beating and whatnot. So 
not not trying to discredit everything that the net rankings stand for. I just think that the inherent bias is is something that 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 I want to keep an eye on as we go forward because honestly, we haven't had to deal with that bias as being in a uh, what's you know perceived as a smaller, weaker conference uh, because we've always been in the winning it. We've won it the past two years. We've we've been ranked the past three years. We've never left a doubt, we, we right? Do we it. haven't been a we've bubble team. We've never had team. a doubt. We've never been on a bubble team with this type of ranking ranking system. With this type of ranking system. Great clarification there. Because we have been a bubble team and we've seen the wrong side of the bubble as well. You know, back in 2005, 2006, that's well documented that we ended up falling short of getting to the tournament. I'll say this. We're in this position not just because of the ranking systems. We did, we did lose. Put there. We've put ourselves there with some really devastating losses early in the season. Games that you'd really like to have on your on your resume at this point, even if they're not huge victories. Great. But if those bowling, if you flip those bowling green losses, the Colgate losses, you know, uh, the I'm not even going to say the Tulane game because Tulane, it did. It wasn't like there was a fluke occurrence at the end. Uh, you know, maybe I'd like to see our our flight not get redirected so many times. But Bowling Green and Colgate in particular. That's why we're sitting here. That's why we see our rating as low as it is. I just want to emphasize, we have all the opportunities we could possibly need to play our way out of this, to get in, into the tournament, and to make noise. And with Jaron Cumberland as our point guard, with the with the big man rotation we currently have, with Chris Vogt, Trey Scott, Mamadou off the bench, and with Keith Williams, Zach Harvey, Micah, Javen, I mean, we have the depth on this team to be the type of tournament team that makes a run late. And uh, it's just a matter of getting there at this point. Well, and we, and I don't think our, I don't think our tone has changed much in that regards. We're, we're t- sitting there looking at the schedule and saying, you know, we're in the middle, literally this is game three of this six game stretch that we talked about, you know, two weeks back where we, we started off at temple. We had SMU, we have Houston. Now we have Wichita, Connecticut, Memphis. Out of these next three games, we got to take two of them home. Like two of them have to, two of them have to come away victories. I would prefer the victories to come at Wichita. I'd prefer to take Memphis at home if we're going to drop a game, which this isn't necessarily even the best team to drop it to. But Connecticut, you know, I think there's a realistic possibility though that we could take all three of these and go zero and six, or sorry, six and zero during that stretch, which, which which would put us in a fantastic position. At that point, I think there's no doubt that this team is a tournament team, at least in the selection committee's eyes, national media's eyes. I think there's no longer that, that we still have work to do to secure that spot, but you're in that conversation. You're on a seed line at that point. Great point. Everyone's made a big deal of the six game stretch that we're currently in. We've started three and zero, and our next two games, Wichita state on February 6th, and then at UConn, February 9th, two opportunities to pull off road wins rankings, love, road wins the selection kit committee they love road wins the bearcats have this week ahead of us to make a huge dent in terms of bubble talk we can stop with all the bubble talk let's keep getting w's the team is doing everything in their power to do it the consistency we've brought to the court the past four games in particular uh has been awesome that was a weakness of this team we were we were hugely inconsistent half to half game to game and Brandon has found a way to get these guys play, to play closer to 40 minutes of really solid Bearcat basketball. Definitely not going to say it is 40. It's not 40 yet, but it's much closer to it. The late game collapses. They're happening less. They're not happening at all. 
the the you know second half collapses on defense they're not happening hummer i'm feeling really good about where the bearcats are hummer let's make mention of all the support folks have shown us recently uh really appreciate everybody who's decided to follow us on twitter uh spread the word about cincy slangin you can find us on twitter at cincy slangin shoot us an email cincy slangin at gmail.com and we are available where you get podcasts so go to itunes subscribe to the podcast Hit us with a five-star review. We love hearing the feedback about the podcast, especially when it's positive. Hummer, I'm putting you on the spot today. Who are we dedicating this episode of the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast to? So you're putting me on the spot, and I'm, I'm really, I've been trying to think of a Bearcat that was just, you know, very physical didn't always necessarily do it in the the right way. Maybe sometimes it was the illegal way. And, you know, it's been tough on what, what Mamadou Diara went through. Keith Williams are traumatized. But, you know, us as Bearcat fans, we embrace that physicality. I want to dedicate this podcast to the one, the only, Mr. Donald Little. I love it. Donald Little was a character... He was a guy who spent most of his first couple of years on the bench. And then when Kenyon Martin broke his leg against St. Louis, he was the guy as a freshman that Bob Huggins started hyping up in the media as sort of a way to kind of get the Bearcats to rally around the fact that we have another 6'10 beast that we can bring in. He's going to block shots just like Kenyon. Now, his freshman year, clearly not ready for that kind of role. But he did develop into a pretty solid defensive presence for the Bearcats. His senior season, he averaged seven points, seven rebounds, 1.7 blocks a game. And I have a particular game that I, I have a, it's a specific memory of Donald Little when Dwayne Wade and the Marquette Golden Eagles came to town. Tom Crean was their coach, one of my least favorite coaches of all time. And we just had a back and forth, incredibly competitive game. Steve Logan is actually the leader of the team at this point. He's the leading scorer. Uh, we're down one. Ball comes back. Bearcats bring the ball back down court. Ball's in Steve Logan's hands. You think, ah, oh, we're gonna, we got this. Steve Logan's got the ball. He's gonna, he's gonna score and win the game for the Bearcats. Nope. They trap Steve Logan. He gives the ball up to I think Leonard Stokes in the corner, who scrambles a little bit, comes around the three-point line. He's not really sure what to do with the ball, and the clock's ticking down. Five. Four, he kicks the ball out to Donald Little, who's about 18 feet away from the hoop. And anybody who remembers watching Donald Little play basketball, he is not someone who plays 18 feet away from the hoop. He grabs the ball, confidently releases it. Swish. There's about two seconds left in the game. Bearcats take a lead by one and ultimately win, defeating Dwayne Wade's Marquette team. Just a really awesome victory for the Bearcats. I was in the stands that night. It was just a really, really fun game to be at. And uh, thanks to Donald Little for providing that awesome memory. But uh, he's, a, he's a good one to dedicate it to, especially in light of, of the Houston events when uh, there was some biting involved. So what you're saying is the Bearcats beat Marquette. Donald Little beat Dwayne Wade. Cincinnati then is better than Dwayne Wade. Basically. 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 Right, right. There's some logic in there somewhere. There is logic somewhere. Uh, 
you know, I, I don't know if it gets any any of them into the Hall of Fame, though it should probably get Steve Logan's jersey into the rafters. As we've mentioned before, hashtag retire 22. Anyway, Hummer, it's been fun. Donald Little, this podcast episode is for you. Cheers. Boom.